good morning, evening, afternoon, night, middle of the day, any time of the day, dawn, dusk, crepuscular creatures. This is the Arena Craft Podcast, a show dedicated exclusively to Magic the Gathering Arena. My name is Arjuna, one of your hosts, the other co-host, Kovac Go Blue, hanging out in cold, cold Michigan, braving the dangerous roads, the blizzards, the storms, the, the blizzard brawls. Would you say you've just been through a blizzard brawl, CGB? I've been through a blizzard brawl, but it's okay because I'm here to say hello to the southern hemisphere, the northern hemisphere, the east, the west, the southeast to the west, all the other places. And of course, my homie is hanging out in the snow in northern USA. It's a funny time. As I look out my window, I'm up here in Oregon. It's like it's like 60 degrees, blue sky day. I'm going to California in a week. Nice. Then I'll just be laughing at everybody. I'm just going to be sitting in Southern California, just laughing at everyone. But right now I'm just miserable. <laughs> just imagining better times. There's pros and there's cons, right? That I think is perfectly going to describe what we're going to talk about today, which is the meta game. The standard meta game, to be specific, Kovac Galu and I have both been playing a lot of magic uh, with varying degrees of success. And today we're going to be pretty much just focusing on all there is to know and all there is to see. We're going to be referencing untapped.gg a lot. They are actually a sponsor of the podcast, so we highly recommend them. Their deck tracker, game tracker, collection tracker, all kinds of things tracker. You can find a download link in the show notes. It does help us out. It's free to you. So go ahead and check them out. So one of the sweet things about them is that they collect an incredible amount of information, and we're going to talk about that today, in addition to our own experiences. So CGB, before we jump into that, is there anything hot and spicy you'd like to say about the world of magic, or any reflections before we dive in? I've got hot and spicy for days, but we can mostly let the numbers do the talking. I just want to say it's always one of the best shows. About a week of experience with the new cards. Things start to settle into what's good, and we have a lot to say about them. We get some sweet, you know, but I won anyway stories to tell, I'm sure. Always one of the best shows, so buckle up. I always look forward to these myself. Before we do start looking at the numbers, I think it would be fun for us to just talk about what we've been playing and some of our observations. I like this. This is probably one of the hardest working times in your year, right, CGB? Every time a standard set releases, you're probably just jamming and building all kinds of decks and stuff. So I'd be interested to hear what have you been playing? How have you been feeling about it? Gosh, I've played so many things. It's hard to describe where to start because I do try to play something different every Every day, And when I'm streaming, it seems like I'm playing something different almost every hour. It's challenging to be like, this is what I've been playing lately. Standard, for one thing, I haven't touched Alchemy, Historic Brawl, Historic, since Neon Dynasty came out. I haven't touched those things. I've focused on Standard. Try to get a handle on a format again. It, it's honestly bizarre. Like, Alchemy and Standard are different enough that they're different formats. There are things that I do wrong because I played too much alchemy at first. In alchemy, you can't really mess around. It's very snowball-y and stuff. And if you can doomscar two creatures, just doomscar two creatures because there's probably a, a lot that's going to go wrong over the next few turns and you have to be alive at the end of it. Standard can be a little grindier, which is interesting. You can lead people into sweepers. You can stall for time. I will tell you what tilts me every time. And I think you know what I'm going to say. 
playing against a card that's nerfed in alchemy and standard. Oh my god, it kills me. Gold span dragon. Oh yeah, gold span dragon. Oh. <laughs> oh, it's a nightmare, dude. It's so tilting. Man, imagine a world where this card was a little more balanced. Wouldn't that be nice? No, we can't have nice things. People revolt against nice things. Luminarch Aspirant's the only one where it's like, that doesn't bother me. That card just should work that way, and it's a good threat. But every time Goldspan Dragon comes down and they tap out, and I'm like, I have a removal spell. They make a treasure. They counter my removal spell. I have another removal spell. They make a treasure. They counter that removal spell. Ah! I don't want to play magic anymore. Holebreaker Horror can't be countered. Because that was a great idea. That's a fun thing. Hasn't come up much for me, but I'm sure you as an eminent control mage have been banging your head against that wall. Yep. I have been back to my old, like, chariot wren shenanigans. So I've also been benefiting and remembering just how good Cat Chariot ever was and Crafties. That's a very good magic card. Dude, I think Chariot's actually in line. I'm playing with Unscuffed Chariot. I'm like, this is good. It can still get beaten. I've played a lot of Chariots on turn three and lost. It's totally a beatable phenomenon. Holebreaker, Horror, and Goldspan are the ones where it's like, I'm a blue mage, man, but I'm off the is it thing. If they didn't print a good is it card for the next decade, I would be fine with that. <laughs> you know what else I've been realizing? I'm looking at all of these lists that I've built. Simic, Sultai, blah, this, blah, that, right? And I'm looking in the three drop slot and I'm just like, wait, what goes in the three drop slot in these decks? It used to just be four freaking divide by zero. Now what am I playing in these decks? I imagine like as a control mage, maybe you're like, you know, you have counter spells or some other stuff to play, right? Or maybe you're playing a like restoration of Iganjo or something. Have you found that planeswalkers are like really good without divide by zero dude there are a lot of things that are surprisingly good without divide by zero i mean it really was a card and it's funny because when it got banned we were all like what that little card no i mean it really makes sense like it's a very very different format without it so you know that's been an adjustment period for me as well i mean you kind of described some of your piles did do you have anything special you want to bring up that you've been jamming before we dive in i've figured out a lot of what you're not supposed to be doing in the format oh i like this that's pretty fun. Oh, put it in the thumbnail, what you're not supposed to be doing. I don't know that Simic got any better with this particular set release. Tamio doesn't do it? I've had so many people sending me these lists, and they're like, Arjuna, Arjuna, our Simic Lord, check out this list. And it's basically just 57 or 58 random cards, and then Tamio. My masterpiece! <laughs> cool, cool dude. What are we doing with this? Like, what are we actually doing with our lord and savior Tamio? So I'm not crapping on the card. I've seen other Simic Mage Ali Eldrazi have been putting together some super grindy looking Tamio lists, and I definitely think the card is capable of doing stuff. I could play Tamio, or I could play Ren and Seven. Why am I making space for Tamio in my deck? If I'm playing Ren in seven. Arjuna, why not both? Just do it. I mean, she's a pretty weak Planeswalker on four. There's a list I was actually playing today on stream. It was doing pretty well. And it was Storm the Festival list, because that's a magic card that I like playing now. It's basically just like a bunch of sagas and Cat Chariot and Ramp and Tamio and Ren and Seven. And what do you know? It's pretty good. I think that Tamio gets a lot better when you can get her like for free plus something else 
off of a Stormer Festival. And I especially think that the Tamiyo cat chariot combo is just butter. You play the chariot on four, you swing with it on five, your opponent blocks it, you slam Tamiyo, you get it back the same turn. You're feeling very good about that. Or even if your opponent kills it with a removal spell or something, you know, it doesn't play very well against Vanishing Verse, but that's just the fun of this particular format, I guess. Tamiyo can't be hit, right? The verse hits your chariot and then you're kind of left with your genitals in your hand there. So um, I don't really know where Tamiyo fits into this format quite yet. I think it's a fine Planeswalker. I haven't really seen anything that like was jaw-dropping to me. One cool thing that you can do with Tamiyo, if you get something back from the yard, it's a token, right? You create a token copy of it and then you can copy it with the Cat Chariot. If you're getting back like five mana sagas and then copying them with Cat Chariot, that's pretty cash money. This is Mimi, but I've been playing a lot of what I call Chariot Pile, and it is. It's like Storm the Festival, Ren, Chariot, and then you pick like a third color and you build. And so whenever I'm in blue, I'm, I'm running Tamiyo. And I'm not kidding. I actually don't think it's the worst thing you can do at the spot. It's probably not the best, but I've been running like one mirror box. I'm trying to get you to spit your water out, but you're actually into it. I tried that one out too. It, it never went anywhere for me, but I actually had that same thought. I was like, what if we can hit multiple chariots and multiple Renin sevens. In the top 200, I played a game where I made the Tamiyo's notebook and then copied it seven times. Oh, seven times? Holy crap, dude. That must have been some fun shenanigans. Yeah, I think I had four chariots on the battlefield. I had a couple Tamios going. I had 14 of the freaking tree. And you're like, how is the opponent still alive? Dude, this format is grindy. It goes wide. People can produce chump blockers for a million years with Lolth and Wedding Announcement. and Those Ozov decks or even those mono black decks. I was just having a game today where like I had the world's most terrifying board state. And I was like, if my opponent has one blood on the snow, none of this matters. And then there's also the uh, cleric class voice of resurgence games I've gotten into where I have to keep chump blocking a giant voice with my Ren tokens. So I have to keep making more of them and like stuff like that just gets crazy. But wide boards are on the menu now because games don't end on a specific turn where the opponent copies all Ren's Epiphany. I found a few ways to break the wide boards, which has been very interesting for the chariot piles because it's easy to make a ton of good stuff, but sometimes you're just staring at another ton of good stuff. Have you played with Glorious Sunrise? Remind me what that does. It's a five mana enchantment, green, green, three. At the beginning of combat on your turn, you choose one of four options. Give a land the ability to tap for triple green until end of turn. You draw a card if you control a creature of power three or greater. You gain three life or... All creatures gain plus one, plus one, and trample. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a nice finisher in a storm deck for sure. Suddenly, they just can't block your Ren tokens, and you smash, and it's game. So it's like an overrun in permanent form, so you hit it with storm. Or you bring it back with Tamiyo. I've copied it with Tamiyo. That's actually really sweet. I had seen that enchantment floating around. I'd actually considered running it in Brawl, but I hadn't really internalized all of the things that it did, and I kind of wrote it off as a meme. That sounds like a really good one-off to hit off your storm, for sure. My game plan has been so go over the top that I've tended to end up in positions where, like, if I'm doing my thing, my opponent's just not able to deal with it anyway. That's been kind of my approach, is to just try to go so big and so grindy that even if they wrap my board and even if they make big creatures and even if whatever 
I'm still just like going bigger than them and I'm still just laughing at it and, and smashing them in the face. It's been going okay. I do like that kind of next level thinking of like, well, how do I just end the game? It also actually makes me wonder if the quad green enchantment. Unnatural growth? That could be a fun one. I mean, it'll be fun, but size was rarely my problem. It was slapping face. I guess that's true. It doesn't provide trample. Another card I was just thinking about today was Master Symmetrist. I don't know if that's too meme -y. I don't know what this does. Yeah, it's an uncommon. It's a 4-4 four -four with reach, and it gives all of your creatures with the same power and toughness trample. Being a creature, it's kind of vulnerable, you know, but it can also block, which an enchantment can't, so. Maybe one of those in one sunrise, and now you're trampling. I was thinking about it. It's something to divert diversify the suite and people might not see it coming. It's the gold rank technology. The gold is creeping in. There you go, thinking outside the box. These are the kind of problems I've been trying to solve. I tested out a deck which is all based on continually recurring stuff from the graveyard and it's playing this card. It's like a green legendary creature that you can channel to get stuff back from the graveyard with. Oh, I played it today. Sakashima. I am good at card names. I can't in this set. Oh, I've got it. It's a Shigeki, the Jukai Visionary. One in a green, legendary enchantment creature, one, three. One in a green, tap, return it to your hand, reveal the top four cards of your library. You may put a land card from among them onto the battlefield tap, put the rest in your graveyard. Channel XX, green, green, discard Shigeki, return X target non-legendary cards from your graveyard to your hand. I played this today. I found some things, but you might've found them first, so do your thing. Honestly, I wasn't testing with this. I just saw this deck list posted by Saffron Olive called Turtle Prison. That's about as on brand as it gets for me. It's a Simic list. It's got Shigeki in it. It's got four Colossal Sky Turtles. It's a Cyclone Summoner list. So it's got that whole bounce everything thing going on. It also plays four copies of Blossom Prancer, which is like an uncommon, which a number of people have been trying to make work in standard. It's a 4-4 reach. And when it ETBs, you look at the top five of your library, you can reveal a creature or enchantment and put it in your hand put the rest on the bottom in a random order and if you don't do that you gain full life i'm not saying it's good i'm just saying that we tried it out and uh, the deck was so embarrassingly bad i got my hopes up maybe this is our next janky simic pile it's going to be surprisingly good it was not good crafties at least in the process did you find combining shigeki with colossal sky turtle i saw that that was kind of the idea, because basically you're continually getting stuff back from your graveyard. Shigeki can channel to get multiple cards back, and then if one of them's a Sky Turtle, you can channel it to get back Shigeki. So every cycle through, you're picking up more and more cards. Like, you're basically drawing three cards back from your graveyard, then trading one of them back for the card that drew you three every time. Yeah, one of the problems was I just wasn't drawing Shigeki. <laughs> so the deck's pretty bad when you don't see that card. Why are you so bad at magic? <laughs> when I play decks that I build, it tends to go okay. But as soon as I play someone else's deck, I'm like, I'm never drawing the key permanent. I'm never doing this. It just, it never works out for me. I probably do just suck at magic. Chris Patello was chatting with me on Twitter about it and was saying that he'd actually seen a Sultai version of the deck in High Mythic that was doing some pretty scary stuff, especially doing stuff like bringing back Go Blank, locking your opponent out of the game that way. So I got invoked Despair, the discard draw one, the uh, one that makes you sack a creature, enchantment, and planeswalker, or lose two life draw card. I, yeah, I had somebody doing that to me with Shigeki. I think it's a card to keep an eye on. I think that the Shigeki turtle combo 
could theoretically fit into a lot of different decks that might actually be cool. And you could basically build whatever kind of deck you wanted to around that. But it could end up being like a combo that just provides like an unstoppable late game for decks that are able to hang on for a long time. And the fact that both of those cards can't be countered except by stifle effects when they're doing their thing is like really powerful. So basically the only two ways you can interact with that combo are by controlling your opponent's graveyard or by stifling, which we don't really have much of going on in standard. The version that I played that where I found the combo is I was trying to build a brilliant restoration deck. And I, I found that combo completely by accident because the idea was I'm going to use Shigeki to fill my graveyard with a bunch of sagas and I'm going to cast brilliant restoration and get them all back. And I was like colossal sky turtle enchantment turtle you know that's great it has the crab in there too perfect thing to get back so it was just like i have these expensive cards that i can channel for effects and then they just come back as giant monsters when i cast brilliant restoration help in the game i had four copies of the five color saga uh the kami war which is really exciting as well as binding the old gods battle of frost and fire five color world tree nonsense what i found is i could do the turtle shigeki thing with a board wipe and anything else, like say a Kami War, the black-white token decks, they are not ready for that. They have no recourse. If you get to like eight mana, which, you know, just keep them from killing you fast. I have like 10 sweepers in that deck, like Doom Scars and Battle of Frost and Fires and all this stuff. If you get to enough mana and just start every turn, Sky Turtle, bring back Shigeki, Shigeki, get back two or three important cards and just spam them. The black-white decks have nothing. You can grind them out to dust pretty easily. I was actually surprised by how dominant I was beating like the mid-range to control decks that didn't have blue. And then my favorite thing that happened is I ran up against somebody who copied Atasha's hideous laughter on me three times. They exiled about 22 cards. They just hit like two turtles and some other nonsense and whatever. <laughs> they hit the turtles and the crab. They hit the sagas. I couldn't even kill them the next turn. It took me like four more turns to kill them with a crab just attacking for five. They're just sitting there like draw, go, draw, go. Can't do anything. Justice is served. You can wake up on the wrong side of bed playing that particular deck for sure. But anyway, I think that there's something there. I think it's something to keep an eye on. And I agree. If the shell that you build around it is compelling, then I think it could definitely go places. Blue-green, they're kind of good ramp colors and whatever, so they help fix your mana and stuff. So that could end up being like a real thing. More potential than I would have ever expected when I looked at the deck list. That's the kind of stuff that I've been messing around with. I tried a little like kind of the Wanderer, Restoration of Iganja, playing some blue, all that kind of stuff. I'm just not as good at building those decks and not as good at that style of gameplay. I had some fun, I had some success, I made some mistakes, but I don't really feel like I have a lot to bring to the table as far as like wisdom concerning those lists. But I know that you've been doing an incredible amount of messing around with that stuff. So I have two questions for you. A of all, is that whole mid-rangey, like the Wanderer, Restoration, Professor of Symbology kind of game plan? Like, is that really good? And the second question I wanted to ask was, how's the whole Azorius thing doing? Is like Azorius mid-range or control kind of a thing? Okay. Um, so the Wanderer, I really enjoy playing the card. I've done a lot of damage with the card. I've done a lot of cool things with the card. It's definitely a better card with a, a battlefield on both sides. It, it's not nearly as good on a like when your board is empty. Um, so you need some tokens, some bodies, something. Because like everybody's like, oh, I'll just play the Wanderer in combat minus kill like one of your things. 
And then when I untap, I guess I'll just make a samurai, you know? And I paid four mana to exile one thing, gain two life, and make one samurai, and that's not terrible. Eh. You know, that's okay. What's really good is you have a creature, they have a creature, they attack with their creatures because their creatures are a little better than yours or they're happy to trade with your creature. You flash the Wanderer in, you plus it, your first striker trades with, like, doesn't trade, but kills one of their creatures. And then you untap, and then you minus the Wanderer and kill the other one. Or then you make a Samurai if the other one isn't worth killing. Like, that's where you just straight up, like, took two creatures off their board with one card and four mana. And you have a Planeswalker left over. You know, that's that's good. That's, that's how you want it. So... I, I mean, I've played four Wanderer in a number of black-white decks, in a number of mono-white decks, and it's done good. I'm not sure that four is what you want. Two might be the sweet spot where it's not always good, but sometimes just the threat that you might have it is better than the card itself to just get the opponent to play a little awkwardly. And I, I'm not, It didn't change the game for me, but it's a... It's a card that does, like, you want it in your opponent's head a bit. And then on the blue-white side, I'm I'm playing a lot of, like, Wanderer, Holebreaker, Horror piles. The Wanderer has Flash. Uh, usually just jamming four of it because I want it to be good. But I've cut, like, all the little creatures. And I think I had Wedding Announcement that I was trying with the Wanderer in the blue-white versions, and that was not it uh, you need so many spells I, like right now my version is wanderer with the only creatures that it can kind of plus onto is i have four sunset revelry that i try to play before i cast it but i, I think blue white is meant to be like full-blown control full-blown hullbreaker horror everything at instant speed so that come turn eight nine ten you hullbreaker horror and you take over the game that way and wanderer is just a bridge to that spot you know, and how is that going? Like, is that feeling viable? I've only made a few videos with it because I hop around a lot, but I've won most of my games each time, and I've won a couple of the standard events. And the thing is, it's me playing blue white. I just know exactly what I'm trying to do all the time. The muscle memory is right there, so it's hard for me to gauge when other people are playing new decks against me, and especially when they're playing decks like black white tokens that I'm pretty well set up to beat. That I've been thinking about how I'm going to beat, and I play to my plans pretty quickly. Those matchups aren't hard for me to win. So it's hard to say if the blue-white deck is actually good or if I'm playing like a scuffed Izzet deck or a scuffed Jeskai deck. For me, it works. I wouldn't be surprised if other control players would pick it up, play it, and say, I'd rather have Goldspan Dragon in my deck. What the hell am I doing here? And they'd be right. So let's start talking about that because one of the big sensations of this format is Hinata. And I think that if you're playing a control plan, you kind of owe it to yourself to ask yourself like whether it's going to be better or worse than playing some kind of Hinata deck because they do just do so many powerful things. I've played against the Hinata deck and gotten owned by it. I have found it to be similar plan to the old Is It plans, where like the longer the game goes, the less likely you are to win. When I have beatdown plans, especially like if I have like a turn three chariot on the play that my opponent wasn't expecting or something like that, I can find the deck to struggle. But Overall, I've been really impressed with these Hinata decks. And I guess there's not that much more that I have to say about them. The builds to me seem fairly obvious. It's mostly an Izzet shell. Sometimes I'll see people playing Valorous Stance because it protects your Hinata for one mana, which is kind of dope. And then of course, like the Magma Opus, right? Because that's the big top end. And then most of the rest of the list looks 
pretty recognizable as just like an is it control shell it appears like the evolution of is it dragons where they used to play like gals at prismari for four mana and it gave them a treasure and most of the time it would die or get countered but that's fine it made way for the gold span dragon and now hinata does that job really well if you want to interact with it you have to pay more so it eats up more of your turn to kill it you have to leave more mana open if you want to kill it on end step and if you happen to untap with hinata and you have a magma opus it's kind of like the game just ends. Every time I've tried too hard to make Hanada good, I feel like my deck is just bad. It feels like all you really need is splash white, run some Valor Stance, which a lot of decks were doing before Neon Dynasty came out. It was a thing that came up in some tournaments. A Japanese team did really well with the uh, Valor Stance in their Is It Dragons list. So Hinata's just kind of an extension of that where you're running Valor Stance, so now you have a removal spell that hits things no matter how big they get, like Ren tokens and stuff like that. And you just have Magma Opus in your deck, which was always a good card that could just be a ramp card if you needed it to, or be an end game that you're looking for. And then when you have Hinata Opus, it's like you're playing a totally different broken game. I feel like I'm playing Historic, basically, when that comes up, because it's kind of that power level of combo. You know what's funny is that the most time I've spent playing Hinata has actually been in Brawl. It was the first Brawl deck that I built messing around with this set. And the thing that I discovered that for me was the scariest playing Hinata was that two mana counter spells become one mana counter spells when you have Hinata in play. You don't tend to think about counter spells as being targeted spells, but they do say counter target spell on a majority of them. That just starts to become pretty terrifying. And I've actually been finding like, I think negate is a totally feasible card to play in this format. I can't think of a single deck in the format outside of maybe like mono green where negate feels like a truly bad card. Oh, negate's great against them. They've got chariot ranger class now they have invoked the ancients it, it's mono white now there, there's almost nothing in mono white yeah i guess that's true mono white is a bad one for sure i think negate's really good i also think if you play best of three disdainful stroke out of the sideboard it's also really good you can counter your opponent's hinata you can counter your opponent's magma opus you can counter your opponent's tamio or whatever they're doing I think that that's kind of one of the underrated aspects of Hinata, and if I was building a Hinata deck, I would probably be trying to include some more counter spells in my list just because of that. I love synergy like March of Swirling Mist to like phase out your Hinata and their whole board, but then you find out you can't sweep their board if you phase it out. Kind of awkward. Just run Negate instead. Just run a count. I saw it coming instead, and seems to do just fine. That's just like a logical step forward for a lot of people. Chris Patello was on that on minute one of the format. <laughs> Noted, is it mage? You raise a good point. The jury's out as to what the best control deck in the format is, but it definitely seems like it might be that. It's very powerful and very obnoxious, and uh, I feel like I've seen it all before, except for Hinata makes Magma Opus more likely to really annoy you. Yeah, there's just all these edge cases that come up as well. Like, you're trying to do something, and you're like, wait, why? Why is this so hard? Or why can't I pay for this or whatever and then you realize that you're doing something that targets so you're doing something that has multiple targets and you never thought about it before and all of a sudden your game plan's just wrecked so whenever that card's on the battlefield read your cards you've played these cards forever read them again man make sure that you know what your cards do so that you don't get totally trounced final thing to note when you and your opponent have a hinata in play spells just behave normally they just do exactly what they say on the card. I also ran into that where I was like, why can't I do the thing? Oh, because my opponent's taxing me. Let's talk about, I feel like this is kind of the elephant in the room in this format, and that is Ozov Tokens. Let's talk about that deck. I mean, I feel like that deck was 
gathering steam even before this set release and it seems to have only gotten better 2022 blood money baby it just keeps getting better man the impression i've got is a lot of these lists have actually moved away from blood on the snow and stuff and they're kind of playing like a little bit more of a mid-rangey plan without as much raw go over the top power but more just kind of i'm gonna do better things in the mid game and control the board there's two different orzov decks on untapped.gg if you look under like the win rate today popularity today tiers on the meta overview one is orzov tokens and the other is orzov control orzov tokens Tokens has a 56% win rate. Orzov Control has a 55.7% win rate. Orzov Control is 5.9% of the meta. Orzov Tokens is 5.8. So if you put them together, you got about 12% meta, and you've got an above 55% win rate, which is very good in standard. The big difference seems to be that Control runs blood in the snow. That seems to be the only difference I can find in the way that they broke down those lists. Do you have a sense for which one's better? There's a 0.6% differential between Orzhov Tokens and Orzhov Control. Obviously, it's Orzhov Tokens. But for some reason, 0.1% of the players are still prefer Orzhov Control to Orzhov Tokens. 0.1% uh, value to be gained there. I, I'm being silly. I'm playing the Tokens deck way more. I just don't find room for blood in the snow nor do i find it necessary seems to be slow and a long time coming and i'm not sure what matchup i'm supposed to need it in if i have four meat hooks or sometimes even three i can usually stabilize just fine against the white decks and wait for the meat hook to be good i usually don't need to meat hook on turn five or turn six or whatever and blood on the snow would probably get taxed in those matchups anyway also just get more land equity without snowlands there's no faceless havens so now i can run cave i can run hive i can run the new lands that channel i can run some amiria's calls some agadim's awakenings because i've got a nice little curve of creatures it's like i can just get so much more out of my mana base without snow you know my intuition was that the tokens version was better and so i feel a little vindicated in looking at these numbers i've noticed a lot of these lists aren't actually running that many new cards it actually seems like the restoration of iganjo seems to be the big pickup for this deck you know some of them are running the wanderer as well I want to talk about Restoration of Aganjo. That's a card that I was really into in the set review and started playing as a four of in several decks from day one. And really on day one was absolutely loving it. Over the last week, my personal opinion of the card gets a little bit lower every day. And I'm not saying the card is bad. The card is value in a place where we have so much. Is it better than a Planeswalker? Do we cut a Planeswalker for it? Do we cut Fellstinger, which straight up draws two cards in a lot of matchups and creates a body? No, I just don't think it's a four of. I, I've noticed that a lot of games that I lose, I'm looking at like two of this in my hand, and it just doesn't do anything for a couple turns while I get hit in the face. So for me, that card is, I think it's like a one or a two of, if any, and you probably just want to focus on the Planeswalkers because Planeswalkers seem really good right now to me. People don't have enough ways to remove Planeswalkers. And the Wanderer is kind of the same, like one or two Wanderers is most of what the new cards in the deck are, one or two Bank Busters. Same thing, it's like all these cards could be one ofs and two ofs. They don't have to be fours. In my opinion, I definitely play four wedding announcements before any of those other cards. To me, that seems like really the core engine of the deck. I mean, I was just building, like, theory crafting a version in my head that was four Shambling Gas, four Deadly Dispute, four Rite of Oblivion, four Wedding Announcement, everything else a one of, except for maybe Meat Hook Massacre. <laughs> maybe I do three Meat Hooks, you know? 
It's a powerful shell, and I mean, I'm glad it's getting its fun in the sun now that Auron's Epiphany isn't a thing in the format. That was obviously kind of holding these decks down. How do these decks play against Holebreaker Horror? You can create a really wide battlefield, and if the Holebreaker Horror doesn't have a sweeper and then play their Horror, they have trouble. It's a weird dance where you need to keep your battlefield wide enough that if they play a Holebreaker Horror, they're just going to die. But if they sweep it, you have to be able to reload. So you have to be getting a lot of value. And it sounds like magical Christmas land when you describe it that way, Except these decks can do it. You just need to stick a Planeswalker for a turn or two and really make that happen. If you do that, those kind of strategies are completely playable. If we check the win rates in the matchups on untapped for Orzov tokens, though, the win rates are really, 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 really positive all over the board until Jeskai Hinata, which isn't a Holebreaker Horror deck, but it's playing a lot of the cards that is it Holebreaker Horror decks do. And then you got a 42% win rate against Jeskai Hinata. Against Is It Dragons, they have a 49% win rate, which is close to even, which is good, but those decks aren't necessarily Holebreaker Horror decks either. The good news is there is no mega Holebreaker Horror deck in the meta right now, but I think that might just be people get sick of that card. I'm a blue mage. I'm supposed to love Holebreaker Horror. I don't play it anymore. <laughs> I don't play it in Commander at my local game store. I don't put it in a lot of my decks just because I get tired of bouncing stuff around, but there's, there's not a great other finisher in a lot of other spots. I think it will make a comeback when people are done with the new cards. Speaking of blue finishes, how's Leah been doing? I haven't really seen much Leah around. <laughs> Sorry, he did. <laughs> I think it's funny, right? There was a nerf in Alchemy, so I would expect to see a lot less Leah in Alchemy, but I wasn't sure about Standard. Divide by Zero was a very big part of the game plan, and Fading Hope has become unplayable. That card was amazing when you could combine it with Leer and use it on pretty much all kinds of things that would matter. I think it's partly the token meta and the Planeswalker meta, rather than Mono Green being like a big deck. Now Mono Green isn't much of a deck. Fading Hope is not good right now. It blows my mind, Arjuna. Okay, guys, if you're out there and you still have four Fading Hopes in your deck, Really figure out why. Are you sure? Because I keep running into like blue-white control, Esper control, Demir control. They've got four fading hopes in their deck and I'm just like, cool. Games are going long now. I'll just pick my card up and play it again and wait for you. Next thing you know, they have like two cards in their hand. I have seven. They can't go get teachings of Archaics anymore because Divide by Zero's banned. So they don't catch back up. And I'm just like, you're absolutely gonna die. When you're playing a game and you're on the play and you go like, blue sauce go and you're leaving up your fading hope and then your opponent goes turn one shambling gas or turn one eye twitch and you're just like well i may as well just shred this card up out of my hand and <laughs> you know move along it's pretty embarrassing for sure you know honestly i had been moving away from that card even before the new set came out because the meta was just shifting and i think people were just coming back around to realize this is just an unsummon basically i was getting like tagged on twitter with people saying isn't fading hope just like ban worthy it's an automatic four of in every blue deck this is a product of the meta the is it decks are playing fading hope because when they get to eight or nine mana they win if if the game goes 10 turns if they don't have a ceiling on the game like Auron's Epiphany provides, or, or Lear Divide by Zero also provided that as well, where it's like, okay, when you get to a position where you play Lear and you have these open and you untap, you're not going to lose. Without those things in the format, you're just buying time to your own demise, losing a card every time. I just can't get over. People don't understand what makes a card good. I've said this on the podcast before, but people would send me these like Simic ramp lists that had four fading hopes in them. 
And I was just like, guys, we need to bring it back to the basics. We can't be losing card advantage playing cards like this, especially since we're tapping out every turn. We're trying to curve two mana ramp thing into a four mana chariot into it. We just don't have time to be playing this kind of stuff. And we definitely don't have the card advantage to catch up. I definitely think that it's a good learning moment, especially think just in general crafties. Yes, Fading Hope has had its fun in the sun. It's definitely one of the better unsummons that's been printed in recent years. It's definitely been a very pivotal card, but let's just remember it is an unsummon and there are very specific meta games in which you see unsummons played. And that is a deck was the perfect storm. Especially with the expressive iteration, just casually being able to fix all of your card advantage issues somehow. Uh, unexpected windfall as well, just cards like that. Or even Goldspan Dragon. Combos pretty well with Goldspan Dragon, right? Um, these are all reasons why you might want to play a card like that. But yeah, just like in your average blue deck, I'm with you, man. You got to be moving away from that. So let's talk about one of the decks, which is like the biggest breakout decks in this format and a deck which is definitely propped up by the new cards. And that is the most popular deck, which is... According to Untapped, if you're looking at popularity in best of one from Platinum to Mythic, number one at 22% of meta, by far the most. The next highest is Mono White at 14. 22% of meta, Selesnya Enchantments, Green-White Enchantments. Arjuna. And if you're wondering, the win rate, 55.4%, a very acceptable win rate for a new deck, for sure. That might be getting its wings under it, you know, still working some things out. So have you played this deck? I've not played with it. I've definitely played against it plenty. It has basically done exactly what it says it's going to do. And my experience with this deck is I've usually figured out by turn four or five whether I'm going to win or they're going to win. That's often how it goes for me. I do think it's a strong deck and I think it can have some incredibly explosive curves and they usually involve that one mana spirit, the Pelt Collector, into the Jukai Naturalist. But, you know, I've seen plenty of different builds. I've also seen people dipping into Naya to play Showdown of the Skulls. Clearly it's not showing up on this list, so it's not something that like most people are doing. Are you talking about the rune list or not? The Naya rune list has Showdown as well. That list is pretty wacky. Um, I actually haven't lost to that list, I don't think, but it can do powerful things for sure. This is never really the kind of thing that I myself enjoy doing. And so it's mostly me just being like, oh, look at that, that's cute and then trying to decide like how worried I need to be about it and how likely I am to lose to it. I think it's potent, and it never ceases to amaze me how popular Selesnya decks are. I'm not trying to throw shade on players. I feel like Selesnya is like the go-to for new players. I don't know what it is, man. People were just like looking at the list, and they were like, wait, we don't just have to play life gain anymore. We can also play this enchantments list. We can just do it that way instead. So like now that's what we're going to do. And that's what we're all about. And that's what we're going to be doing until the end of time or until some other silly Selesnya list comes along that does better. Granted, this list is performing better than a lot of like Mimi life gain lists have in the past. But it's so hard for me to not just file it into that category in my mind. So you're hitting really close to home. My wife just got into magic, and her commander is a green-white cat, Kahira. The companion is her commander. She loves her green-white deck. She wouldn't change a thing. I've played a lot with this enchantments deck and the various cards in it. I definitely identified it as a potentially powerful deck. I have some really strong opinions, and they are controversial. Okay. 
Well, I'm happy to hear that. Let's go ahead and hear them. My list, if you click through on like the Selesnya enchantments archetype and you scroll down, I'm not the top two. I'm the, the third is my list. It has uh, one of the Weaver of Harmony, which a lot of people think is a four. I'll, I'll get into that. It has one commune with spirits. It has one Legion Angel. I do not play the one one that you were talking about. In fact, I found that the worst thing that could happen is draw a card that's not an enchantment. I have 23 land and everything else is an enchantment except for Legion Angel, which creates four bodies, you know, and best of one to use with your enchantments. And uh, like a couple other cards, uh, the Catildas, the Dawnheart. Yeah, I noticed you're running four Catilda, which seems like a lot to me. I'm going in on that card, but that also is kind of an enchantment because you cast the backside. But yeah, I'm not running Generous Visitor. I just found you draw like two of those in a row. You get into the mid game and you're like top deck generous visitor, land generous visitor, and you're just done. <laughs> you lost the game. Congrats. Your hollowed haunting sits there looking at you like, why are you bad at deck building? So we don't play that. Surprise, surprise. CGB picks like the go longest version of the deck. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay, look at this deck. This is the most beat down version of the deck because it makes the Michiko's Reign of Truth into a full on just 10 you tenue. This card is the truth in these lists. You're getting more for two mana than I can possibly imagine. It's kind of game over if you can just land this on a lifelinker, which is why I have four copies of Katilda and why I think that Jukai Naturalist is the best two drop not close. I just want to get like an evasive body and I want to hit you twice with this thing. Or if you're not going to put stuff on the ground, or if you're going to play an aggro deck that is trying to smork me, I'm just going to hit the lifelinker with Michiko's Reign of Truth once or twice and just finish you. I am not trying to go long. And that is my main problem with the Weaver of Harmony. So many times I've played against Weaver of Harmony, which looks like a really nice one in a green 2-2 that makes other things bigger. And then, oh my gosh, you can copy the trigger of your enchantment, Arjuna. If you tap this and a mana, your circle of confinement can hit two things. Arjuna, can you believe it? But you're not beating down if you're doing that. You're like controlling the board and you can build this as a control deck, but other decks will outgrind you because you don't have that many ways to draw cards. This isn't an enchantress deck. You're not going to draw a million cards playing this deck. I'm like, no, I do not want to play Weaver of Harmony and then tap my two drop to copy other enchantment abilities. I don't know how many times I've played against the version that runs four of this and they play a couple of creatures and I kill them. And they play Michiko's Reign of Truth on like a creature. They hit me once. I untap, sweep the board. Their Reign of Truth goes off, hits nothing. They deploy a creature. I kill it. The next turn, they flip Michiko's Reign of Truth. I chump it with Lulth. Like everything's fine. I have no issues. And it's because they're sitting there kind of dirtling their Weaver of Harmony and copying like a couple of triggers to get a little bit of value. And it's no, kill them, get them. Smash. This deck needs to smash. It needs to drop a big Katilda. When they kill it, you bring it back from the grave on another creature. Oh, here's the other thing. Your enchantments can't all die to a sweeper. Because if all your enchantments are creatures and they die, your reign of truth is weak. Your Katilda is tiny. It's really not good. That's why I have ranger class. I have ranger class instead of weaver of harmony because it puts a creature on the board which I can hit with Reign of Truth, which I can pump with the Ranger class's ability, which I can do all this stuff with to keep pressure on my opponent. And when they kill it, I still have an enchantment. 
my enchantments didn't all go to the graveyard to the wrath. So my Catilda is still more powerful when I cast it. I'm picking up what you're putting down. It seems quite powerful. Like, what's your assessment in how actually good this deck is? It has some matchups that it shouldn't lose. Mono Red is trying to make a comeback. There's a version that actually did really well in the challenge. And if you try it against Celestian Enchantments, it's embarrassing. It's hilarious. Most of the draws I get against any of the monocolored aggro decks, green, white, if you have a good Celestian Enchantments draw, they're just out of the game on like turn four. It can explode. If you play Weaver and they don't kill it, which, you know, mono white and mono green aren't great at doing. You can untap and cast like three spells, cast three enchantments, one of them being Reign of Truth, and you just attacked with like a 7-7 lifelinker. It's insane. So those matchups, it can dominate with decent draws. One of the things that I've felt coming into this format, and I don't know if it's just like new deck bias or new shiny or whatever, I would really not be choosing any of the monocolored aggro decks if I was trying to come into this format. And it kind of surprises me the win rate is still the highest according to untap.gg with mono white aggro. And I wonder if that's just because it's easy to pilot, people already know how to pilot it, it's feasting on all of these unoptimized decks or whatever. When I'm building decks and when I'm playing out the decks that I'm building, I treat like mono white or mono green in this format like it's just like a spider in my face that needs to get swatted out of the way. Like I'm just not worried about these decks whatsoever. How's your experience been? I've been crushing them pretty hard with the enchantment piles, with the artifact piles, with the chariot piles. At the black-white tokens piles, I don't seem to be having a ton of trouble with them unless they are just on the play with an insane draw. I can't imagine wanting to stick to one of the monocolored aggro decks right now because especially the artifact enchantment synergy decks when they do their thing undeterred, just really go over the top. Have you seen the artifact decks that play the patchwork automation? No, what is that card? It's uh, artifact... Two mana for a 1-1 one, one with Ward 2. I've been playing that card in Limited. That card is terrifying. I've been seeing these decks with a bunch of artifacts that run that card. And just like a 6-6, six, 7-7 six, seven, seven by turn 4. The white deck can't kill it. They don't have the mana. They can't target the darn thing. The green decks have nothing bigger. It's kind of funny to watch them just sit over there like, huh... It's impressive how Ward 2 just changes the game. That's the thing I love about that card is like you slam it on turn two and especially on the play, your opponents like the soonest they can even think about hitting that thing is on turn three. It can get totally out of hand and you're totally right. Like against any of these decks that want to come out swinging, it's going to be a massive roadblock. So do you have a sense about like whether those decks are any good or not? It's early. Hard to tell if they can be is it to save their life. I, I know that they're scary. When I'm up against it, those decks scare me pretty bad. I've only played a little bit with that card, but I've got a lot of bizarre wins with the various artifact modified kind of Boros white red shells and they do pop off really good. I've been doing some fun stuff with like Angel Fire Ignition and Lizard Blades. <laughs> oh yeah, I saw you're doing like uh, Ember Cleave at home. Yep, just straight up Ember Cleave at home, but a very like basic and I should probably just cut things like Angel Fire and focus in on more artifacts for Patchwork Automaton. There's more to explore there. I'm looking at some of these mono white lists and it seems like the only substitutions people are making from the new set are like some people are trying out the Wandering Emperor 
Some people are maybe running like a copy of the Iganjo land. But apart from that, it seems basically the same deck that it always was. The set did a good job giving most of the established decks no new toys. Like mono white and mono green really don't have a lot of things that change what they do. Invoke the Ancients is getting play, which... It's kind of cool, but for the most part, those decks didn't get much. And just straight is it, I would say, got nothing. But, you know, if you're willing to branch to Jeskai, you get a pretty powerful rare. I like all these new directions people are going in. So speaking of artifacts, what's your sense of the kind of like Azorius artifact piles that Crokies was playing? How have those been doing? I feel like that deck is really good. And there's so many decisions that I know I haven't played it optimally. So it seems like a deck you could really sink into and master. At the same time, the deck's getting no adoption. I mean, that was the day one deck, and it's just not even on the radar. You can scroll through the meta, and nobody's playing it. It doesn't appear to be putting up an above average win rate on ladder. 47% win rate. And here's the thing. I went 11-1 playing it. My only loss was definitely to my own mistakes. I made mistakes in almost every game. Is this like a deck that would be very well represented in a pro meta game that just people are not willing to invest the time and brain power into on the ladder because I get it. I'm almost intimidated to queue it up because it makes my head hurt. Every turn, you have to strategize, look at your mana, plan out your next turn. Yeah, it is a really skill-intensive deck for sure. There's so many little things you can screw up with Tezzeret specifically. If you actually want to optimize and get that two mana discount on your next activated ability, because if you tap your treasure vault, you activate the ability of an artifact and now you don't get it. If you tap to your Celestis, same thing. It's kind of a painful Moonsnare prototype. Same thing. If you use that to cast your Tezzeret, you already activated an artifact this turn, so you don't get the ability. It's a very strange thing to deal with. It's a weird card and it's a weird deck and I love it. I mean, I kind of hope that it does end up being a decent deck in the format or some permutation of it is cool because it is such a weird you know it's like a planeswalker control artifact deck which we just like haven't really seen that much of in theory it's very cool i've definitely beaten the deck i've definitely lost to the deck i don't know if this is the case maybe this was just more of the pilot skill coming in but it felt kind of draw dependent to me maybe like higher variance than some of the other decks but you are highlighting that it's very difficult to pilot so maybe that's really what it came down to i don't feel like i have draws where i do nothing and die i have draws where i have a million things to do and at the end I have I can't remember what I did. Teferi specifically when you have a land that is an artifact creatures on the board a vehicle, a creature that can crew vehicles, all these untapped lands, it's like I can spend my whole turn trying to figure out what three targets to pick for my Teferi. It's painful. You start roping down and you're like, I just got to do something, right? I just got to start clicking buttons and making this turn happen, right? So I, I'm totally with you there. I'd like to see that deck start to do more and get better represented because there's a really sweet deck and it does seem very powerful. Another deck which I've been messing around with, which seems like it has the potential to be very powerful, these Anvil lists. Have you played with or against, I'm forgetting the name of this card, something something Anvil? Something something Anvil is the technical name of the card for, for today. <laughs> Is it Oni? Something Oni? Oni Cult Anvil. That's the card. All right. Good job, CGB. I've had a lot of fun building around this card. It has been very swingy for me. Like I have some games where I just demolish my opponent and it's not close. I also have games where I just felt like I was never in it. All my draws are terrible. What has your experience been like with the Oni Cult Anvil deck? 
I've only played it a little bit. I've theorycrafted lists and then play-queued them a bit to try them out. I don't know if I have residual like pain from Cat Oven, but I just don't have a lot of patience for this kind of thing. I've been watching Ash Lizzle play it a lot. She loves it. It's right up her alley. And she finds ways to get lethals with these cards. And I look at these cards and I feel like I'm just getting stomped on when I play them. I'm willing to chalk it up to not being my style, but I haven't found a version that I'm comfortable with, that I feel like I'm getting wins with. And I know that people love it when I play decks like this on stream or in video because I literally look like a floundering moron the entire time. Cat Oven's a great comparison because the cards individually look like such low power level cards. Props to Wizards, you can build an entire deck around the anvil and have like only commons and uncommons in the deck, right? Apart from your lands. It's a really cool budget deck. And I wonder if it will end up being like Cat Oven where people will futz around with it for a couple of weeks or a month. And all of a sudden they'll be like, this is what we were supposed to be doing all along. And this is really good. And then in the next couple of set releases, we get a couple more cards that make it really good. And all of a sudden, it's just like that annoying sack deck that's, you know, in every tournament on the ladder all the time. There's nothing that immediately seems as powerful as the cat oven combo. They kind of anticipated and headed that off by making the anvil only trigger on your turn, which I think was a very smart thing to do to because... If you could trigger it on your opponent's turn and get free 1-1s, then it would basically just be like Cat Oven all over again, and that would be terrifying. Like I said, I've definitely lost to it. I think if you're playing a go-long game plan that doesn't involve gaining a lot of life, then you should be quite scared of this deck because they're just going to keep chipping away at you and keep chipping away at you and getting a lot of value from their artifacts and stuff. So I'm going to keep my eye on it. I think that it could end up in a good spot eventually. And right now the deck has 47.8% win rate, according to untapped.gg. And there's not much of a consensus build. If you look at the builds that are over 100 matches played, it's really bad. It's like 39.7% win rate. So there's definitely no consensus build that's putting up good results. So still a lot to be explored there. See if we can find something playable. Honestly, one of my biggest issues with the deck was the mana base. It's like a two-color deck that wants to play a lot of one-drops and that also wants to play a lot of multicolored spells. I had these really awkward draws where like, I just couldn't play my Epicure on turn one or you know, if you want to play any creature lands, that kind of makes things worse. And I just had a bunch of really awkward hands. It also doesn't mulligan very well because it's just all one and two drops. And if you lose too much card advantage, you just can't really make it up again. I ended up having some issues with the deck that weren't even really related to the power level of the cards. I just found it to be somewhat of an awkward deck to play consistently. But it could just be that I'm building it wrong and playing too many one drops or whatever. I, I don't know. Like you, I'm not an aficionado of these decks, and I would love to invite Ash Lizzle on the show sometime to go down the Rakdos hole, you know, because she is a very, very talented player, especially when it comes to decks like that. We covered a lot of what's happening in the meta game. I'm curious if there's anything else that's on your mind or kind of big pointers that we missed. There is a Naya Humans list on here. I just want to see if it has any new cards really quick, but I don't think so. It's actually putting up pretty absurd win rates. Like there's a 60% win rate version that has no new cards. Who would have thought that Halana and Elena would end up being one of the most devastating cards to enter standard. This card has just been ramping up and ramping up and ramping up and getting better and being put in more winning lists. Clearly, it's a terrifying card. I think if we rewind the tape on the review, I was like, isn't this really good? <laughs> Did we even read this card? I don't remember even reading it. Maybe I read it on a stream. Haste is a lot. When size matters, it matters. And this card ramps up 
a deck like this. And when I started playing it in conjunction with like Reckless Stormseeker and Luminarch Aspirant, which then add power to Alana and Elena, who then in return add that power to something else, it's definitely strong. You know, I'm looking at a deck here which is playing Sagada, Champion of Light. These cards, which I wrote off <laughs> for sure, which are like starting to get a little bit more play in the meta game. It's not your fault, man. It's a 4-4 four, for four, 4 at Mythic. You're never going to give it a chance. Come on, 90% of the time I'm right. I mean, the odds are in my favor. I'm even loving like these decks are running a copy of Minsk Beloved Ranger, which is actually a really sweet card if your deck can cast it consistently. It's cool to see this deck performing. I haven't played against it at all. That's probably a reflection of where I am on the ladder. Basically... It's a sneaky mono-white deck. Just look at it. Like, every card except for Halana and Elena is white in, in some respect. What it does is it goes bigger than the other mono-white deck. And it gets to run Thalia because it's in almost all creatures. There's, like, two Valorous stance. If you're in a face-off of mono-white versus mono-white, but you have Halana and Elena and you have Sigarda, your creatures are going to be bigger, stronger than opponents. So it's bigger, stronger, chonky mono-white with by splashing two other colors. It's kind of funny though, when I'm looking at this deck list, is it so far off from Bard class? It's all white cards. I know what you're saying. We add in some Magdas, we add in some more red cards, we put in some Bard classes, and all of a sudden we're popping off in a different direction. We were talking about Naya humans. Bard class is its own archetype, and if we scroll all the way down the list, <laughs> all the way down. Well, that's that's not promising. Hold on, let me just search for tags or cards. Bard class. <laughs> no data. <laughs> this looks like the beginning of a very juicy Bard class list to me. I look forward to the report on your Bard class list next week. Could be just memeing. It also maybe somewhat gives you a window into how much I respect this list, which is probably a lot less than I should. 60% win rate. You want to you battle? It appears to be the winningest list on here. Definitely the most winning list, but not the most played list. According to this, it's 6% of meta from Platinum to Mythic. I haven't seen it at all. Okay, so that's good to know. It's not just me hanging out in gold or whatever, because I just have literally never played against this deck in my life. One of the things I like about the meta is that after a week, there are some archetypes that are solidifying, but it by no means feels solved to me. And I'm really happy about that. And another thing that I like, and this might change, but I'm seeing very few cards that feel completely outlandishly more powerful than the rest of the cards. There are no gold span dragons in this set. Hinata might be the closest thing we have to like a truly busted card. It's also a three color card, so you have to work for it. It's interesting to see if more cards will be printed that work with Hinata or if Magma Opus is going to rotate and Hinata is just going to be a very boring card gonna be a face-hugging horse we'll see one last thing i wanted to ask before we go out here is have you seen vehicles doing anything oh yeah i played against a blue white vehicle deck today a million vehicles and pilots and i haven't seen anything to be impressed by it's not an exciting archetype to me according to this it's like under one percent of meta have you seen anyone memeing with the mind link mech combo with the uh, giant calamity bearer that doubles damage that giants do yeah, so uh, Mindling Mech, crewed by Calamity Bearer, becomes a Calamity Bearer, so it doubles and then doubles again the damage, so it swings for 16. I've thought about building that deck. I've played against it a couple times. Nobody has successfully 16'd me. I, I've always been able to break that up pretty effectively. And other than that, I haven't seen Mindlink Mech played anywhere. 
So it's always funny, like with a new set rotation, you'll see people trying to make deck lists with cards that we had collectively already decided were bad. And by and large, crafties, those cards are still bad. Calamity Bearer, believe me, I liked Calamity Bearer. I wanted that card to be good. It's not a good magic card. Same with Master of Winds. Well, actually, I never liked that card, and I never thought it was good, and I play with it today, and shocker, it's still a terrible magic card. So, you know, some of these combos look cute, but let's make a big distinction. There's a big difference between combining Grease Fang and Parhelion and, like, just winning on the spot versus combining Mind Link Mech and Calamity Bearer and, like, maybe doing your opponent 16 damage, and then who knows what happens after that. I would caution you crafties to think about the difference between those two scenarios and think about why one of them seems like pretty powerful and the other one is like kind of a meme have you been grease fanging some parhelions have you been holding back on me on this show i've not been playing historic it seems like a viable thing you can do in historic i've watched some people play it and uh yeah it's a pretty terrifying combo i i don't know if it's like actually good any like future of standard type predictions since we spent most of the show on that where do you think the meta is going from here I imagine that these Hinata decks are going to be tier one. My estimation about the enchantments deck is that it will be strong on the ladder, but not strong in tournaments. I feel like the meta is moving towards being Jeskai, Hinata, Ozov in some configuration, and then maybe like one other thing that hasn't been solidified yet. That's kind of what I'm seeing. How about you? I hope that people like really work on like the Azorius Artifacts deck and determine whether or not it is play skill thing or a meta positioning thing or actually play the tough matchups because it's crazy how good the day one results were for everybody to be like, and we're not going to play it. (laughs) Did they find something out or did they just get sick of it? That's what I want to know. I also wonder if it was people just being like Tezzeret and Teferi, those are kind of meme mythic planeswalkers that I don't feel like crafting, and like everything about this deck design just makes me feel uncomfortable and I don't want to deal with it. So it could have just been like, just it feels weird and people didn't want to adopt it. I do think the Selesnya deck in some configurations is the real deal. It has a really good matchup with Izzet and Jeskai. They just can't really keep up with what it does. It runs a million of a permanent type that they don't interact with. I think that Celestia Enchantments actually has a great matchup there, and maybe they can do something about post-board. Obviously, at this early stage, like that's a new player. So Hinata and Goldspan Dragon and Holebreaker Horror haven't focused their energies on beating enchantments. If they do, maybe they'll do better. But right now... I don't think that's going to be easy for them, but the Slesian Enchantments seems to have a bad matchup with the Orzov deck. So it slots right in as that third thing, and I found that it does very often just destroy mono white and mono green. So I feel like it could slot right into that, that triome of the meta, but will people beat Selesnya enchantments when they want to? There aren't any like good old tranquility, just destroy all enchantments in play cards. Not really. Farewell is extremely expensive. So we'll see. The Selesnya could end up being that third pillar of the meta game. It's probably recency bias of like, I can't really remember a deck like that being a solid pillar of the meta game ever. I'm sorry it has happened at some point in the past, but I think I'm just like biased away from it for that reason. Tomorrow's going to be fun. Crokey's got 1,024 people to sign up for his standard tournament, and I will be casting like the second half of it when I wake up. So 
it's going to be fun, and we'll see what we'll see what takes down a one thousand person, five thousand dollar prize pool tournament with the new standard. That sounds super exciting. So by the time this is released, crafties, we will have the results of that tournament, and uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about them next week. And in the meantime, you can probably go and look those up on is it on MTG Melee or is he on that other platform? It's on Melee. So uh, yeah, go take a look. That'll be really really interesting. Man, I'm going to be playing like IRL Magic all day tomorrow so probably gonna miss it but uh have a good time cgb i know you'll kick ass thank you i'll do my best and with that that's gonna do it for the show thanks so much for joining us again it's been an absolute pleasure bringing you this metagame overview and i'm sure we're going to be having a similar but more focused and nuanced conversation next week as things start to solidify in the metagame. So if you want to hear us do that, you can go to Spotify. You can go most of the places you can download podcasts. We're there. You can watch the video version of this on CGB's YouTube channel. You can watch Kovac Go Blue streaming quite regularly these days on his Twitch channel. You can watch me streaming usually on the weekends. Uh, I'm having a lot of fun, so I am streaming. So you can catch me doing that as well. Um, I, I broke 100 viewers today, dude. That was sweet. Nice work. Hell yeah. It was awesome. It was a good time. So I just wanted to shout out the crafties. You're wonderful. I love it when you stop by the streams. It's just such a good time. You can go and hang out with other crafties in our Discord. I don't bring it up that often, but it is a poppin' place. I mean, we're pushing like a thousand people in there by now. And there's a lot of deck lists being posted and all kinds of stuff. So it's a great place to go. And finally, I wanted to shout out our patrons. Thank you so much for supporting the show. You make things possible. You're wonderful. We love you. Please keep being patrons and I will try to keep finding ways to reward you for doing that. Yeah, patrons, you're cool. You're the coolest of the cool. All right, that's Arjuna out, and over to you, CGB. Later, crafties. <laughs>